Hi, and welcome to the Planet Money Podcast. I'm Adam Davidson, here with Laura Conaway. How are you doing? Dan Costello. Hey there. And Alex Bloomberg. Hello. Today is Tuesday, September 23rd. It's 5.34 p.m. Dan, quickly, where are we in the news? Uh, the biggest thing that happened today is that Paulson and Bernanke met with the Senate Finance Committee and received a testy reception. This uh, was not the welcome that they had hoped, the we're going to just pass the bill that the president sent no matter what. Far from it, yeah. There was a skepticism about the timing of uh, when m- – most people think this will pass, but skepticism about the timing of it and uh, exactly what it's going to look like. Was Jim Bunning in full effect? He was in full effect. I think he called un-American and – this was uh, socialism. And it, oh, that was what I'm going to say. It was the S word used. Yes, it was used. It took okay. a while to get there, but, but we out. don't know what the bill will look like. We don't have. I mean, we, we've heard a lot of possibilities, but we don't yet know where they're. Negotiating. Yeah, at the end of the day, Paulson didn't back down. I mean, he really stood firm and he didn't give many specifics, which is exactly what he says. He wants, as he says, to uh, have this pass quickly, get on the ground running, and not be stymied by any of these other additions to the bill. And Laura, you just blogged something about the white, something out of the White House. Yeah, I did. There was a press gaggle phone call today, and Tony Fratto, deputy um, press chief of the White House said that this bill, which I have actually been thinking of as sort of quite hastily drawn together, had been considered by any number of policy people actually for months. The two-page bill. Yeah, yeah, that the policy implications of this had been worked out by certain members of the policy staff for months. Wow. So we're going to play some interviews today. Um Yesterday, I got a chance to catch up with Tim Adams. He used to work for Henry Paulson um, in the Treasury Department. Tim Adams was Undersecretary for International Affairs at Treasury. He's now a private in private consultation uh, with in, with the Lindsay Group. I know you've been a close advisor to the president uh, even before he was president, right? Right. Yeah, and and you you worked hard to get him elected and reelected. Right. Right. It. You know, it it looks like, I mean, it's hard to give a huge ringing endorsement to his economic policies. How how do we weigh that? What what did he get wrong? What did you get wrong? Well, I think I think you know, everyone makes mistakes. We're we're human, and and um, you know, you 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 certainly. It's easy to Monday morning quarterback lots of different decisions, but I, I think we are where we are because of 20 or 30 years, as we described at the top of the show, 20 or 30 years' worth of decisions, and, 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 and some were made in this administration, some in previous administrations. Remember, in the late 90s, we had the dot-com tech bubble, which was the largest equity bubble, if you uh, measured on a PE basis, the largest equity bubble since the 1920s. So our system is prone to bubbles, as are most systems. And we just think about uh, we need to think about how do you respond to them, but more importantly, how do you prepare for them? And that's the real uh, task going forward that I think Congress won't wrestle with so much this week, but next year they'll wrestle with how do you build a new regulatory structure and system for 21st century finance. I feel like you dodged my question a little bit. <laughs> I did dodge it. <laughs> yeah. wait, wait, I think there's a lot of blame to go around. I think the system itself had lots of failures. I think the incentives were wrong for a lot of the players. I think there were a lot of regulatory entities that, that should have done a better job, not only in this administration, previous administrations. I think we changed laws in ways that had unintended, unintended consequences. Can you give an example? Well, we we uh, we lift the, the leverage ratios in 2004 when uh, Mr. Donaldson was head of the SEC, and we didn't think about 
enough about what that meant for the unregulated institutions such as investment banks. And, then, and just to explain what that means to listeners who, who might not be familiar, that means if an, it used to be an, if an investment bank had 100 bucks, they could lend out, I think it was 12 to 1, right. like they could lend out 1,200 bucks. Then you lifted the, the restrictions and they could lend out 3,000 bucks, 30 to 1, which now at least, I mean, with the benefit of hindsight, looks like a dangerously highly leveraged posi- uh, 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 situation. Is that fair to... Indeed. I think you had a lot of people who were in institutions were buying and selling and, and rating instruments that they just didn't understand. We didn't understand the complexities associated with them. And I think what we're now finding out is that, is that we didn't understand them. And it was, again, a failure across the system. It was a failure of the rating agencies to understand. It was a failure of management in many of these institutions, which were handsomely compensated, but failure of management to understand what they were buying and holding and selling. Uh, and uh, and you had a lot of institutions that were making loans and then simply securitizing them and getting them off their books. So that they weren't they didn't have the incentive to ensure that it was good quality lending. What did you get most wrong personally? What did you not understand that you wish you could go back in time and tell yourself? You know, I, I think all too often we 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 look at the you look at the trees rather than the the entire system. You know, the, the, and it's easy to it's easy for the different regulators to go into the entities they regulated and to look at specific practices that caused them problems but there wasn't enough attention paid to the whole system being in question and because we assumed the whole system would would work itself out that if there were problems it would be an it would be an institutional specific or just one node in the supply chain but in fact the entire supply chain failed and I think it was just we were – And by entire supply chain, I mean basically what you're saying is you, you thought, okay, there's a chance that one investment bank or four banks or whatever will collapse. But, but that the whole system of money moving around the country and around the world, that was fundamentally sound. That was solid as a rock. Right. We, we, we just all assumed that everyone knew what they were buying and selling and that the, the computer models that were in the basements of a lot of these institutions and the – you know the guys who wanted to be physicists but couldn't, and ended up creating these models that that you know they really captured the full range of risk and the various outcomes, the so-called fat tail distributions of potential outcomes, and that it would you would that they would understand what those different outcomes would look like and and would manage to them. But in fact, we didn't, and uh, they were just far too complex, and people just didn't understand them. And after a while, I think they quit trying. Wow! Wow! They quit trying. It's Alex Bloomberg. I'm, I'm Adam's partner in, in Planet Money. Um, and uh, Adam, you and I talked yesterday to Brad Setzer, who's at the Council on Foreign Relations, and he is a former Treasury official under Clinton. And you, we brought him in to, so that you could ask him a very about one specific part of this uh, proposed bill from the from the White House. This proposed seven hundred dollar seven hundred billion dollar bailout bill, Section Ten. Maximum amount of authorized purchases. The Secretary's authority to purchase troubled assets under this Act shall be, shall be limited to $700 billion outstanding at any one time. And the main thing I want to get out of this conversation with you is how much is $700 billion? How should we think about that and what will that do to the dollar, to me, to our listeners? Mm-hmm. So first of all, how, what is $700 billion? Is that real money or is that play money for – you know, I know a million dollars means nothing to the 
when you're thinking about the global economy. $100 million means nothing. Does $700 billion mean nothing? No, $700 billion is a very large sum. It's, it's equal. It's more than the U.S. oil import bill. Even for a, a year. For a year, significantly more. Even it, at these massive... Even at these massive prices. It is... So e- the government could have just bought us all as much gas as we wanted. And given it mo- to us, and yes. And given it to us. All right. Um, <laughs> if you want a sort of a simple visual, yeah. Um, it's equal to the entire U.S. Uh, trade and current account deficit. So it's the, equal to the amount that we borrow from the rest of the world in every given year, which is a very large sum. Uh, so I think by any measure, this is a it's about five percent of U.S. GDP. It's a it's real money. Does anybody besides the U.S. government have seven hundred billion dollars in in domestically, or is that just is that a sum that only governments have? Well, the U.S. government doesn't actually have seven hundred billion dollars. It has the ability to borrow right. seven hundred billion dollars, and it has the ability to promise with credibility to repay someone $700 billion plus interest right, but, some years out. But could ExxonMobil or... ExxonMobil or, or GE, they couldn't... That's, this is a sum that's beyond yes, them, this, this right? is, There's, there's this no is. one company, there's no even one industry, really, that could get $700 billion together? Or... Well, I mean, the, the oil industry probably would be the closest because oil, selling oil is a very profitable right. business right now. And if, you, if the oil industry went out and borrowed a ton of money sort of uh-huh. took its entire profits, uh-huh. borrowed some more from the banks who were willing to lend to oil companies because, you know, oil is worth something. Yeah. Uh, then you could maybe mobilize a fund of this size. Okay. But, you know, the, a big investment bank would have a balance sheet of roughly a trillion dollars, a big, very leveraged investment bank. And that doesn't mean that they have a trillion dollars they can give away willy-nilly. That's their entire portfolio. Mm-hmm. And part of the problem is that a big part of that portfolio is illiquid, meaning that they can't sell sell off something that they currently hold. When I think of illiquidity, I think liquid is cash in your pocket. Illiquid is your house. It's worth something, but you can't give it to someone. You have to do a lot of stuff. I think it's even worse in your house because this is uh, assets, claims on your house. And since no one knows quite what you could sell your house for, particularly now, they don't really know what uh, a bundle of the mortgages on a whole bunch of different houses is worth. So it's like your house cubed. And how many countries... I mean, Japan could borrow $700 billion. Uh, yes, Japan could borrow that. Could Great Britain? It'd, you know, Great Britain, it'd be – could they probably, but it would be – you're getting above 10 percent of the GDP, well above 10 percent of the GDP of any major European country. So it would be a phenomenal sum. Now, he did say there is one country – Alex, if you remember – one country that actually has $700 billion and more. I will guess. I will guess. China. China could – Give us that seven hundred billion, and in some ways, will lend it to us. Which I find totally, I can't. I'm still staggered by that. Literally, there's three entities on Earth. If you don't count the oil industry, three entities on Earth that could borrow seven hundred billion dollars: the United States, Japan, and China. And, and only one of them it. actually has it, mm-hmm. right. which is China. Which is interesting because throughout history, as I understand it, and maybe parts of my details are wrong, but generally, the richest country at any given time, whether that was Spain at one time or Portugal or the United Kingdom or the United States for a long time, the rich country always had money that it would lend to poor countries. And the situation where we have a poor country lending us money is highly unusual. I've got a listener question today from Leah Drillius of St. Paul, Minnesota. She's looking at this $700 billion bailout bill, and she's looking at one part of it in particular. I've read that the administration is balking at the idea of cutting out golden parachutes for uh, banking executives. 
And I'm trying to figure out if there's a reason beyond protecting, you know, special interests that they'd be doing that. So if there's an economic reason, such as some sort of variation of supply-side economics, you know, if these executives walk away with all this money, <laughs> that'll somehow benefit the taxpayer. Otherwise, I can't see the justification in it. <laughs> That's a really good question. It's an excellent question, Leah. And I'll just say quickly, the the argument is not that it benefits the economy by giving these executives millions of dollars that they would then spend on stuff. The argument is if we cut their pay, then banks that are in a shaky position are less likely to participate because the executives aren't going to want to participate and uh, in, in this buyout uh, because they don't want to lose their salary. That's, and, well, that strikes me as just such a bogus argument, though, because, I mean, the, if banks that are in a shaky position will end up like Lehman Brothers, you know? I mean, isn't... But if you're on the fence... And if you're an executive, you're... I mean, maybe some of them are thinking about the, uh, com- the company itself, but some might look at a job offer from Google or someone else, you know what I mean? When these, oh, are, so these are the very people whose expertise you need right now. So they would, literally, they will say... They're, they're worried about people saying, screw it, I don't care about the global economy, I don't care about my own company, if I don't get my $22 million walking bonus, I'm going to go away. I mean, it's basic. Look, economics is the science of, partially, the science of incentives. And I don't, it's not a moral, well, actually, that's not true. Adam Smith called it a moral science. And right. Theory of Moral Sentiments was one of his main books. But, um, but, but the point is not, economics does not talk about the moral better parts of our nature. It talks about our incentives. And if you take away an incentive um, to, for an individual to benefit themselves, it's remarkable how easy it is for individuals to convince themselves that what's in their own best but interest. At, at the street level, a lot of people would like to offer these bankers an incentive to leave. Yeah. And I also don't feel like they're in any sort of negotiating position at this point. Like you can't like who really like you're 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 coming to the government for the the government to bail you out, basically. And you're going to demand, you know, executive pay. It doesn't seem like from a purely economic point of view, it doesn't seem like that. Right. But from a purely economic point of view, I mean, not to get wonky, but if you it's it's a labor market issue. I mean, if you don't pay these people enough money, they could leave to other industries or, or realize that they don't have enough skin in the game to go through the next six months or 12 months or two years. Right, that, and clearly they've been doing a bang-up job. It's going to be brutal on Wall Street. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, well, wait a do, second. Yeah. Wait a second. Maybe. I mean, look, there are, hard to find. There are clearly to... many people on Wall Street who have made colossal errors. Sure, I'm sure some of them are schmucks. Some of them are right. bear a fair amount of responsibility. I think a fair amount of them probably don't. Uh, there's a news bit, though. Dan, they're talking about this tomorrow on the Hill, right? This executive pay thing? Yeah, and, and they're probably not getting it much farther on the issue than we've gotten here at the right. table. I mean, it's it's one of these um, talking points that gets a lot of people fired up. But the question is, makes you mad, but what do you do about it? All right. Well, this has been Planet Money Podcast for Tuesday, September 23rd. I'm Adam Davidson. Thank you to Laura Conaway, Dan Costello, and Alex Bloomberg. We have so much analysis observations, funny stuff, podcasts, all sorts of stuff at npr.org slash money.